Engineering is a huge field with lots of highly paid professional opportunities, but many of those engineering jobs will want to see a master's or doctoral degree on your resume. How do you get into those programs? What do you need academically and professionally, experientially? That's what we're going to explore today with someone who has assisted many applicants to graduate engineering programs and jobs. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Accepted's founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Welcome to the 486th episode of Mission Straight Talk. Thanks for tuning in. Do you know how to get accepted to graduate engineering programs? Dr. Karen Ash does, and she shares her knowledge and insight in Accepted's guide, Applying to Graduate Engineering Programs, What You Need to Know. Download your free copy at accepted.com slash 486 download. Again, download your free copy at accepted.com slash 486 download. Our guest today is Dr. Karen Ash author of the guide that I just mentioned, and the former director of Cornell University's Career Services, director of the Career Management Center at Cornell Johnson School, and a career coach at Cornell's College of Engineering. Dr. Ash joined Accepted in 2015 as an admissions consultant and career coach. She has been guiding clients to acceptance at leading master's and PhD programs in engineering at top universities, including UC Berkeley, Carnegie Mellon, Caltech, Cambridge University, Columbia, Cornell, Duke, Georgetown, Harvard, MIT, Northwestern, NYU, Stanford, UCLA, USC, University of Michigan, UT, UVA, and University of Washington, among others. She's here to discuss how to get accepted to graduate engineering programs. Dr. Ash, welcome to Admissions Rate Talk. Thank you, Linda. Okay, now much of your experience before joining Accepted was more in the career guidance side of graduate and undergraduate education. How do employers influence admissions decisions? They can influence it in a couple of ways. One would be, let's say all of a sudden, a lot of employers decide they need more computer scientists. Then the programs at a university might expand the number of candidates that they are willing to bring in. It can also make a difference if they emphasize certain areas within an academic area. And, you know, they, they need more calculus. You know, the, the, the clients, the applicants, the new hires are coming in with not as many, uh, as much of a math skill as they might need, or they need more, a few more sciences. So they can affect the curriculum. The other way is if I'm sitting on an admissions committee and uh, I'm going through files and I'm trying to decide who should be interviewed for a possible spot and they seem, their story seems very clear and it seems like they would not have a hard time finding employment. It can make a difference if I think a candidate the story doesn't make sense. I don't think they're going to have an easy time getting employment. And it doesn't mean they're totally out of the picture, but I might put them in another pile because schools get ranked somewhat on there based on 
how what percentage of graduates find employment sure. and what is their salary level. So in those ways, employers can influence. So employability is definitely a factor in admissions decisions, right? Mm-hmm. And I, is it also true that let's say, let's I think I think teamwork has been a skill that employers have increasingly valued over the last 20, 40 years. So is that something, let's say, that schools are, are emphasizing more in terms of admissions decisions? Absolutely. That's a good point, Linda. You know, that I think that's been true in the MBA world for quite a while. But with engineers, more and more companies are insisting that people work on teams. They realize that there's there's more productivity, a better outcome, a more creative outcome when you have diverse teams working together, not only within a department, but across departments. You can get into a school without having great leadership or communication skills, but if you have them, it's an asset. And it, you know, there's more assurity that you'll get in. Makes sense. Even in engineering where, uh... You know, the stereotypical engineer is not a great con- communicator, but if you have the math skills and communication skills. Exactly. And it also depends on the department. You know, if you're being hired for a coding position, it's going to be less important than if you're being h- hired for operations management sure. or civil engineering, where you're dealing with construction sites and uh, architects, and you've got to be able to communicate across many different types of people. Okay, you're actually leading right into my next question. Engineering is an extremely broad field. What will, or at least, what will all or most engineering master's programs, let's just stick with the master's programs right now, want to see in applicants both academically and experientially? You're asking a very good question because while there may be some distinctions, I think there's more in common across departments in that employers want very advanced math skills, calculus, linear algebra, differential equations. Depending on the department, we're talking about various sciences and statistics. So if you're going into mechanical engineering, physics is going to be very important. If you're going into biomedical engineering, chemistry and biology are going to be important. But those math skills are important across the board. And so are, you know, any kind of problem solving, analytical uh, thinking. And what about experientially? Do most engineering master's programs want to see engineering experience? No, it's not like MBAs. There are a lot of applicants right out of school. And it's not required in most programs to have experience. What is a plus is if you are coming straight from undergrad, you've had internships related to the field you're trying to go into. You know, you've had some kind of, whether it's paid experience or volunteer experience where you can show you have the passion, the motivation, and, you know, some knowledge of the field in addition to whatever your classes were. You know, I have seen it. I have seen, I've worked with many applicants successfully who came right from undergrad. And I've worked with probably fewer who have had years of work experience. And when they do, it's a plus. Uh Sure. Makes sense. Up to a point, you know, 
if you have too much experience, then the schools begin getting a little worried, like, well, maybe you ought to be in some kind of executive program, you know, maybe not fit our program. What's What's too much? You know, maybe more than seven years of experience. Okay. Same question, but for PhD programs, what are engineering PhD programs pretty much across the board looking for academically and experientially in their candidates? Well, most PhD programs are going to demand that you've had some research experience. And whether that be from a master's program, or I've had some clients as an undergrad have many research opportunities. And those are, I see that less often, but I have seen it and it has been very successful. So if you don't have any research experience as an undergrad, then I would recommend starting with a master's program. I just talked to a client this week who had applied to eight or nine PhD programs. He had a 3.9 grade point average from a very good UC school. He had very good GREs, but he got rejected from all of them. And I have not read his statement of purpose, but he hasn't had much research experience. So this round, this, this year, he will apply to MS program. But the PhD programs, by and large, they want to know that you understand what research is, that you have a research focus coming in, that you know what professors you would like to study with. And you can change your mind once you get there, but they like to see that clarity. Right. And it's not that easy to change your mind. I mean, if you decide you want to go in an entirely different direction, you probably need a new advisor and and it's not so easy. Right. What are some of the distinctions among the different engineering aspects? I mean, you mentioned already that if you're going into chemical engineering, you need chemistry. If you're going into mechanical engineering, physics becomes important. What What about aerospace engineering or electrical engineering or something like that? Yeah. You know, having some coursework, you know, if you had the opportunity to have specific coursework leading towards aerospace or uh, computer science would be obvious. Everybody is studying computer science in high school these days. But let's say environmental sustainability okay. might not be as available in high school. But if you have somehow been able to get some experience with it, whether it be volunteer or internship, that's going to make a difference in how, you know, your chances of admission. Makes sense. Now, what if a college graduate, either a senior in college or somebody just out of college, decides they want to get a, a degree in computer, computer science or computer engineering or something like that, but they didn't pursue an undergraduate degree in engineering or a related field. Is that person out to lunch? I mean, do they have to go and get an entirely new bachelor's degree before going for a master's degree? How, what would you advise that person to do? I've worked with a number of clients who did not have a degree in the field they wanted to go into for their master's program. And they've handled it in different ways. One client took a lot of courses through Coursera, an online website. And some of those courses are offered through the schools that he wanted to apply to. Some have taken courses at their local college or community college. Others have, I had one client who actually moved to the location where the school was that he wanted to. I remember to that. And he took every continuing education course he could take, which did not lead to a degree, 
could not be transferred to the program, but he was in classes with full-time resident students and he got A's in all those courses and he got into the master's program in computer science with an undergrad degree in a social science and not a very high GPA. Wow. So yes, it can be done. It's hard and it's going to take a little bit more work on the client's part and definitely need to take the prerequisites in one way or another. But they can do it part-time, they can do it while working, or they can do it full-time. And Absolutely. Okay. What if someone did poorly, let's say in quantitative or engineering related field, how can they enhance their undergraduate record and repair that GPA? You would have to retake courses, whether it be you know at the same school or a different school, but you would have to take the courses you already took and get good grades in them, like an A. Right. Um, and if you do that, then you show the school that, okay, for one reason or another, I didn't do well. Often it's just not a maturity level on the undergrad level, especially for males. Um, I don't mean to discriminate, but many males will say they just weren't ready and they didn't apply themselves. And then they grew up and they take these courses elsewhere and study because they have motivation now and they do very well. Do you also recommend that the applicant in this situation maybe address the, the poor grades, provide context? If it was a matter of immaturity, they can say it was immaturity. If there was family, family issues, health issues, financial issues, whatever, just adjustment issues, do you, do you recommend that they actually say that? They can, but unless their GRE scores are very high. and No, they, they still have to show that they can do the work. Absolutely. And, and they would have to show that they excelled at work you know, that, that they develop maturity through the work that they did and that, you know, they get good references from their supervisors at work. But I would say taking the courses you did poorly in is probably a better bet. Got it. My so, suggestion and, was more as a supplement to the good, to the good grades, the more recent good grades, not, not instead of, but yes. to supplement, um, kind of complete the picture, if you will. Yes. It depends on the story. Mm -hmm. It depends whether as a consultant, I assess that that rings true and makes sense or whether we're better off not talking about it very much at all. Got it. Makes sense to me. And now for a word from Admission Straight Talk sponsor. Attention all prospective graduate students. Now you can use one platform to apply to dozens of schools at once with Interfolio. Organize your CVs, resumes, and letters of recommendation and easily submit all from one site. Sign up at interfolio.com backslash accepted with the code accepted22 for 10% off. Again, that's interfolio.com backslash accepted. And now back to the show. What factors should applicants consider when they're choosing where to apply? All right, let's say I know I want to go for a master's degree in mechanical engineering and I have the grades and I have the test score and I even have a couple of internships. Uh, what should I be looking at in the program to determine if it's a, it's a good fit for me? I'm not talking about am I competitive right now? That's another question. I'm talking about in terms of, of how do I choose? I mean, there are thousands of graduate master's programs in engineering. It's very true. And a lot of clients will come to me wanting the top schools. And not everybody can get into the top school, even if you have excellent scores in every way and excellent recommendations. There's just too many good applicants. So you have to really focus on what program 
am I the best fit for? Or is that program the best fit for me? And that in engineering, there's two types of, of academic programs. There's the applied and there's the research focus. So if you're going for an applied program, an MEng, let's say a master's in engineering with no thesis, no research, it's just courses and uh, projects. That, oh, so that's normally a terminal degree, right? Yes, it's a terminal degree. And often it, you know, undergrads who do well in engineering and want a master's will just stay on for that fifth year. So for that kind of a program where they're, let's say they're looking for a one year or even a two year applied program, it's important that they look for the courses that match their interests. And probably a little less important that they focus so much on what professors are there as you know, more the coursework and possibly the student organizations and look at the employment rates yeah. for the field you want to go into. If it's a research program, and those are usually MS programs, there are MS programs without a thesis option, but most MS programs are research focused. Then it's essential that you look at the professors in those schools, look at their research, reach out to those professors. They won't always answer you, but it sometimes they will. And if they do, that, that really helps your application. I think applicants have more good outcomes writing to professors when it's a PhD program than an MS program, because there's more MS applicants and professors can't respond to everybody. But it's just so important that you understand that the research done at that university doesn't align with your interests. Can you envision researching with this professor given their interests and your interests? That's critical for a research focused program. Makes sense. Now we, you know, we discussed the importance of research for research-oriented master's programs, and even more so for PhD programs. What if I decide I want to go into academia, and that means I need a PhD, but I don't, I haven't done research in the past. I mean, I guess you could ask me, how do I know I want to do it if I haven't done it? But what should the applicants do if they want to change course and uh, they don't have the research? You don't absolutely have to have research to get into an MS program. So okay. you have a good story as to why you're changing direction and uh, why you want to do research and what you want to do research on, you can get in uh, without having had much experience. Okay. Um, would... Not true for the PhD. What about the PhD? <laughs> no, the PhD, you have to have had research experience. You don't necessarily have to have published your research, but you have to be able to draw on, this is what I researched, this is what I was motivated about, or decided I wanted to go in a different direction, and now I want to go in this direction of research, and your professor doing this is exactly what I want to study, and I would love to be part of his project group. And I assume if you don't have the research, then the idea would go would be to go to one of those MS programs that doesn't require research and then pivot to the right. PhD, right? Right, absolutely. Right, right. all right. And, and of course, I think the, the foundation here is that if you're going to a PhD program, the idea is that you want to extend human knowledge in some area. Right. 
original research. Yeah. So what area do you want to extend it in? And where is a professor that is kind of going in the same same direction or similar and direction? It's, and it's interesting in engineering, I would say a minority of my clients have wanted to go into academia. I mean, I'd have to count it up to be exact, but a lot of them want to go into industry doing right. research. So they want to work for a Google or a Tesla coming up with the next great design for a product, especially if like all their life they loved automobiles, you know, or, you know, microchips, whatever it is. You know, they realize that the academic market is somewhat saturated. It's, you know, not that easy to get into academia anymore. So industry it, with their salaries that they're offering is very enticing. Makes sense. Do most engineering applicants or most engineering programs, whether on the master's or PhD level, require an interview? Not the master's. I've rarely seen it, but yes, PhD. Any advice for engineering PhD interviews? Know your resume. Know the research you want to discuss. Know that it relates to the research in the school and with the professor you're about to talk to, and it usually is with a professor. I have found overall that the from what the my clients tell me is that it's a conversation. It's not usually a grueling interview where they're trying to see how much you know. They can see that from all of your application material. They're trying to see if you're the right fit for their work group. They already have PhDs on their team. Does it look like you would be a good addition? And that means both your skill set that you're bringing and your the personality that you're you know displaying when you when you interview. So I would say go into it thinking of them as not having power over you, but being a colleague that you're having a conversation with and you want to find the best fit for you too. So you need to come with a set of questions. Is this the right place for me? Right. Great response. Thank you very much. Now, what if I apply to an engineering program, be it the master's or PhD, and I didn't get accepted? Do you have advice for reapplicants? Do you work with reapplicants? Yes. I do. I'm working with one now. Often the client knows what they were weak in and where they need to strengthen their application. If they have no clue, then I would go through all of their material. Often it's the essay that the applicant, for whatever reason, just didn't clearly tell their story. They didn't clearly define their goals or their goals didn't relate to their experience. So eliciting that information from a client, which we do it accepted by sending this unbelievably lengthy questionnaire <laughs> client answers. And you know, one client that, recently answered with 30 something pages. <laughs> from that, I develop an outline for a draft of an essay. And you know, that, that can make a big difference, both the essay and sometimes it's recommendation. Did you use the right people. Did you provide enough information for them to provide a strong recommendation? I don't think recommendations often make or break an applicant's acceptance, but they certainly can add, uh, you know, they help an application if they're excellent. And if there is a theme coming across through three different references that this person is really creative, 
really original, really stands out from their peers in this way. You know, so helping an applicant through look through what they did before and what's changed. And have they taken other courses? Have they had another experience at work? Have they had a leadership opportunity? Um, anything that's different from when they applied the first time. Okay, great, great, great advice. Thank you very much. Let's say I'm thinking of applying, there's two groups, okay? Let's say I'm thinking of applying to engineering programs, again, either master's or PhD. And I realize that's really, really broad, really broad. And I'm thinking of applying this cycle, in other words, fall, or I'm planning ahead. I'm planning ahead to apply in 2023 or 2024. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give current applicants and applicants planning ahead? Well, I think for both, it would be setting out a timeline of what needs to be done by when, certainly for the current cycle you know what is most on their mind what are they most worried about if it's the writing of the essay let's begin tackling that at least get a draft done way before the deadline so they have time to amend it edit it if it's somebody a year or two out what experiences might they be able to garner before they apply that would strengthen the application what information might they gather about careers in that field and talk to people, professionals in that field to gain an even better understanding of the program that they're applying to and what they might want in a candidate. Okay, great advice. Thank you very much. What do you wish I would have asked you? Linda, you're a master of interviews. You could be the next, <laughs> be the next Terry Gross. <laughs> I don't think you missed anything. You sure? Okay. All right. Then I want to thank you very much for joining me today. Listener, if you would like to learn more about Dr. Ash or take advantage of her expertise in engineering school admissions and career advising, we're going to include links to her bio and contact me page in the show notes at exhibit.com slash 486. And again, thank you, listener, for joining Dr. Karen Ash and me for our 186th episode. If you find the show worthwhile, I have a suggestion for you. Subscribe. That way you won't miss any of our future shows, whether with admissions directors, writing experts, test prep pros, fantastic admissions consultants, or alumni doing great things. You can find subscribe links in the show notes at, you guessed it, exhibit.com slash 486. Reminder, you can download a complimentary copy of Applying to Graduate Engineering Programs, What You Need to Know by Dr. Karen Ash at exhibit.com slash 486 download. Grab your copy right now. Thanks again for coming. This is Admissions Trade Talk produced by Accepted, and I am your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week. <music>